Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bobby Lovelace. I'm Danielle. This is an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our awesome listeners, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. No, TechPots is going to tell you all about it. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> this is a uh, book club for friendship and Hellboy and all things friendship and Hellboy, and then these guys, they read these books, and then they <laughs> talk about the books, and then us book club members, we listen to these book club podcasts, and then... We send like a "Hey, you damn guys," and then they read sometimes our "Hey, you damn guys," (laughs) and then we all talk about it more. And it's friendship and book club. Amazing! That was great. You did an awesome job. TechPod, book club member. member. Yeah, that was a great interview. Thank you so much for chatting with us on our debriefing episode. That was a great episode. We had all of our listeners on. We talked to a lot of people. Uh, That was really good. I want to come back and do something like that again. I had some shouts outs for this week. Shouts outs. Shouts outs. I got to shout out the great Lawrence Campbell. Hey, okay. Lawrence Campbell. Book club member. Book club member. Probably my favorite artist. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Actually, on Easter Sunday, he put spending Easter Sunday doing some pencils, listening to Hellboy Book Club Aww. and Glass Cannon Pod. That's nice. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the shout out. You Thank know, you. I, yeah. That's awesome. I hope that he's enjoying the show. <laughs> Hi, yeah, Lawrence thank you. Yeah. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Listener feedback. <laughs> it's Aubrey's jingle for listener feedback. You know what time it is when you hear that jingle. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along the time. Get we got a message from uh, Clayton Schofield. Hey, Clayton Schofield. Book club member. Clayton says, I'm excited to read uh, this for the very first time. I'm in the middle of two other books, though, so I am going to stock these episodes until I get time. Actual book club on hold for me. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, so I like that. He'll read the book, and then I guess he'll listen to all the episodes, like a month's worth of episodes. Okay. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. Okay, however you do it. That's awesome. I'm excited to get his mega feedback once he's finished with the <laughs> whole thing. We also heard from Jerry Turnbull. Hey, Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. Yeah. He said, I love this book. This and Bones of Giants are among my favorite Hellboy stories. Okay. Awesome. And Jason Abaddon said. Jason Abaddon. Book club member. That's right. He said, finally, something I've actually read. I like that uh, people have read these books already. You know what right, I mean? Uh, like yeah. uh, I'm reading them for the yeah. first time. I've never so. heard of this. Yeah, so this is really cool. Um, I'm glad to hear that both of you guys like get to listen, you know, having already read it. You know, I, I think that's uh, pretty sweet. We also heard from Mark Tweedell. Mark Tweedell. Book club member. That's right. Mark Tweedell says, uh, so this book is canon, but I would describe it as canon in the broad details, but not in the smaller stuff. I would have to agree with that. Uh, Keep in mind, this came out June 1997, same as Hellboy, Almost Colossus, and only three years after Hellboy's Seed of Destruction. So Mike Mignola was still figuring out the Hellboy universe. And a lot of the details we have now hadn't settled in yet. Christopher Golden had his work cut out for him as he was playing in someone else's universe, figuring out how to adapt Hellboy so that he worked in prose and also having to flesh out this world with a level of detail the comics don't really delve into. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. That said, Mignola and Golden aren't finished with the story just yet. 
In a 2018 interview, they mentioned they'd like to do something with Anastasia in the comics. Personally, I'd like to see Golden tackle a whole bunch of stories that stem from the Lost Army. This book implies so many, especially in the period from 1979 to 1981, like the Obsidian Dance Encounter in 1980. Yeah. I would love to see that they re- they've referenced it twice already. Okay, um, but we don't know what happened there, and that and that's where they broke up too. Oh, I see. So that led to their relationship ending right. ultimately. Mm. I would like to see Golden do some stuff with Mignola in the comics. I don't know that he's he's done a couple of the comics. I think co-authored. I think Hollow Earth was one of them, but not very many. You know, he's mostly worked with Mignola on the Baltimore stuff. So yeah, let's bring him into the Hellboy stuff to do more of this. Mark also said, we're talking about uh, Broom was the head of the BPRD, but now it's Manning. The Hellboy Companion listed him as director from its founding in 1945 to 1958. As far as I know, his replacement has never been revealed, but I suspect we'll find out in Hellboy and the BPRD eventually. Tom Manning joined the Bureau in 1976 at age 30 and was assistant director from 80 to 82 and director of the Bureau from 82 till the end of the world. (laughs) yeah thank you for wrapping up uh the details on that i didn't do my research on there all right and now we're going to go on to our actual book club for the week actual book club (laughs) this week we're reading hellboy the lost army we're continuing our discussion today we're reading chapters five through nine written by christopher golden with illustrations by mignola the audiobook is narrated by wayne mitchell and it's a super fun listen i'm really enjoying it are you enjoying it aubrey i am i i you know, I mean, you know, to jump ahead a little quick, I like the uh, the voice you gave to the American Colonel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, we're going to talk about that. Yes, uh, he, he, he gave it that. Su- he gave it that southern charm to it. Okay. Yeah, he does all the voices, which is you know that that can there. be hit or miss. Sure, um, you can it really see how can. that would be missed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just you know. for the people, listen- I have not listened to yeah. these audiobooks, so I don't know what it sounds like at all. I'm just straight up reading the books. So. Right, it, it's really good. It's really good. I I, I think it's um. A, a really fun way to enjoy the book and i'm also reading the book too so okay. you know i'm listening to the audiobook uh, i listen to the audiobook usually twice each chapter twice and then i come and read the actual book and make little notes and stuff like that so one guy's voice i had to imagine as like the voice of the monarch just because it took the sting out of what i was reading a little okay bit, and okay like... well we'll get we'll get to that we'll get to that <laughs> so when we last left uh, they had just had that battle with the Persian soldiers. Well, the undead Persian yeah, soldiers. Yeah, there you go. They were like zombies or something. It talks about that afterwards they were supposed to go get all the remains of all those people that they found dead in the Oasis. But like they couldn't make them do it. But the MI5 people, Cregan's men, they had to go find Lady Catherine. So they like went up in the trees and they found like her uh, severed head up there. Uh, yeah. Uh, gross. Yeah, and they like mentioned that of course they had to like all take showers and burn their clothes and whatever. right, yeah. So and we cut to this like nighttime scene. Everyone's getting ready for bed, and it talks about some people are shacking up, right, and some people are just like well, trying to get you some have rest. To. Yeah, it's super cold in the desert at night. And uh, we get this lovely depiction by Mignola mm-hmm. of Hellboy and Anastasia sitting by the dying fire, snuggling. Golden writes. She moved close to him for warmth, confident that neither of them would assume any other motive. Their split had been too definite, their knowledge of one another too profound for such games. 
Their eyes met, his were strong and calm, loving and contemplative. They were what had drawn her to him all those years ago, now they were a comfort she sorely needed. Despite his outward appearance and his sometimes bruised nature, she had never met a man more attuned to human emotion. Never met a man as honest and good. This is like a very, I was like, oh, what kind of novel am I reading here? Yeah, well, and she goes on, well, that's what he is. He's a man. Many would argue with me, but he's my man and now he's my friend and i'm like what am i yeah, yeah. looking at it's right interesting. now <laughs> what's happening right now yeah there are a lot of emotions in this scene i get it they yeah. were boning each other it's, yeah i get it <laughs> but uh it, it does mention that he's still recovering from the oh, yeah. the attack earlier and he's like i'll be i'll be fine in the morning what was it you used to say and she's like right as rain right so that's the line I did have to look that up. From a book review in 1955, right as rain is used, it was originally meant as straight in direction because rain falls in a straight line. Does it? (laughs) Well, it was funny. In the comments, it was, well, that's what, like, it's right when it's falling in a straight line. Yeah. Does that make sense? The Whenever I hear that phrase or read that phrase or anything like that, I just, all I can think of is that line from The Matrix where the oracle was... She delivers that oh, line with so much right. pathos. Oh, it's wow. very like I forgot it's about just that. such a definitive delivery. She's like, "You'll feel right as right." I can't do it, but it's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Anyway, that's all I could picture that's a good whenever I read that, that phrase. It is. You'll feel right as right. Suddenly, there's flares up above. Right, so this scene has to get interrupted by something. All these people are like parachuting in. There's tanks and all this stuff. Oh, shit. They think it's war. He's like, let's go find out. Yeah. Let's see what's going on. There are a couple moments like this where she's like leading the pack and Hellboy has to like hang back and he's like, it's cool. She's a strong, you know, I'm going to let her do it. She's. Well, he doesn't want to. You don't want to undermine her authority in the middle of her. Yeah, exactly. That's not something you should do. I'm sure he has a lot of experience with that he's belongs to a government agency yeah. you know what i mean so he he understands that type of shit but it says still he brought himself to his full height and held his tail swiftly off behind him it seemed like macho bullshit hell it even felt like macho bullshit but he couldn't help it well it, it also kind of to me i kind of actually because he's not that kind of a guy so i sort of interpreted that in my in my inner canon yeah right as my head canon as he knows it's bullshit, and she knows that he knows it's bullshit, but he has to do that because of it's her to her benefit in this environment anyway. Right. And so there are times when I'm grateful for, like, I have, you know, obviously, like, you've done this several times where it has to be like, oh, we have to do this. Okay. He's almost being her bodyguard. Sure, Her sure. personal bodyguard, and he's, like, right behind her, and anyone who gives her even like the of the wrong kind of a glance he's gonna like gl- stare them down until they comply so it's like not that she needs him to do this but he'll do it right yeah so i don't know it's it's ridiculous but it's also like i can see how that would be useful personally yeah i can see how that would be a useful thing <laughs> there's also this moment where cregan pulls up with the jeep and he's like hey you want to join us and so they all get in the jeep together with him so, you know, in, in the Bones of Giants, there was an official guy who was a dickhead, but that guy was a real dickhead, and then yeah. he ended up getting fucking killed. And sometimes this guy seems like he's kind of on the level. Like, he's kind of like, I'm going to work with you, I'm just going to still be a dickhead. You know what I mean? But he pulls yeah. up and he's like, hey, you know, you guys can come with us. So how Cregan here? Yeah. Okay. That's more teamwork now. Yeah, exactly. I still suck, <laughs> but it's teamwork. 
And they're introduced to this guy, Colonel Jack Shapiro, United States Army. <laughs> so the we, uh, Aubrey, you mentioned this earlier the, the, the voice I'm, actor Wayne Mitchell. I'm Colonel. I'm Colonel Jack Shapiro, United States Army. You know what? When I thought it reminded me of the Brad Pitt in in Glorious Bastards. Oh, fun! That's fun. I feel like it's kind of a version of that. That's what it kind of reminded me of. Go he does Lamy. a he does a really fun job with it, he and sure does. Uh, it's it's yeah. good. It's good stuff. Just for that performance alone, I, I like what he does with Hellboy too. Bring me one hundred Nazi scalps. That's what he sounds like on the audio book. I love it. Anyway, it's great. Is this war? And he's like, no, not at all. We're merely here to make sure that war never happens. The Libyans aren't going to start anything. They're a little more than a warehouse for worldwide terrorism. President Reagan gave them a spanking, and we're here to make sure there aren't any tantrums as a result. Uh, That's kind of how he talks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. So, yeah, there's this guy now. And he sees Hellboy, and he kind of freaks out for a second. President Reagan gave them a spanking, and we're here to be sure there aren't any tantrums as a result. Don't you think any backlash would probably be through other terrorist actions? Hellboy asked. He had been standing behind the rest of them, near the back of the jeep. Now he took a step forward, and Colonel Shapiro's eyes grew wide with astonishment. My God, the colonel said. What the... This is Hellboy, Anastasia interjected quickly. Of the BPRD? I'm sure you've heard of him, Colonel. Shapiro colored and executed a curt nod. Indeed I have, he said sternly. My apologies, sir. I was unaware of your presence on this dig. I meant no offense. None taken, he lied. Most people treated him like a celebrity, but here the Colonel was treating him like a superior officer or visiting dignitary. And Hellboy's like, I have a presidential commission. He's uh, like whispering to the side about this, which I thought was pretty cool, right? Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool too. At first, yeah, because at first I thought he was like maybe freaked out or starstruck, but it's like, no, you know, the whole presidential commission thing is just like, oh, he sees him as kind of like a boss or celebrity boss. Right. <laughs> presidential commission is a special task force ordained by the president to complete a specific special investigation or research. They're often quasi-judicial in nature. That is, they include public or in-camera hearings. So yeah, you want to have a public figure guy in this kind of sure. role. So Shapiro tells them that they have to withdraw their team until the present crisis has passed. And so they get into this thing where like, well, we have our orders. The MI5 are there. Cregan and all his guys. In fact, when the colonel asks, aren't you MI5? He says... You don't have clearance for that information. After all, if the Prime Minister had been interested in taking the UN's advice about our withdrawal, we'd already be gone. So this is like the, the UN has sent the army out there. This is all coinciding with the historical fiction of the Libyan war that was like brewing at this time. So they all get back in the Jeep here. And I did like this moment. Anastasia says to Cregan, you make friends so easily. In my line of work, friends are a liability, the captain responded. I remember that when the time comes for me to haul your butt out of the fire, Hellboy grumbled. So I like there's this comedic interaction constantly between Cregan doesn't like Shapiro. He doesn't really like Bronzefield or Hellboy. Hellboy doesn't really like him. You know what I mean? It's just like... The little quips all around and stuff like that. It's fun. It makes for uh, some fun moments here. Oh, yeah. 
And then a guy comes along and he's like, oh, you guys, you guys, you got to come over here. And they're like, no. And he's like, no, for real, you have to come over here. <laughs> and so they're like, all right, I guess we'll go over there. And so they all realize this guy is absolutely fucking terrified. And so the guy who had run up Brickman, he's like, oh, she she asked for them. She asked to talk to them. And he's like, who fucking who asked to talk to them? Oh, well, Lady Catherine. She wants to speak with Hellboy. You're talking about the severed head yeah. of Lady Catherine. Like, what are you fucking talking about here? So that's that's kind of where I started to <laughs> regain interest in yeah. what was going on here. Yeah. So they hear a voice from inside the tent. Is Hellboy here? We get also a nice Mignola illustration of the severed head of Lady yeah, Catherine. Yeah, really, really uh, <clears throat> interesting. I love the um, the description too of the of Lady Catherine's voice, uh, the delicate voice of a woman speaking in a soft, slow, dreamy cadence. Right. So that really sets the sets the scene here. Sets the tone. It yeah. says. Uh, Several inches of spinal column protruded like useless limb from the bottom of her neck and lay like a lizard's tail on the black surface. There was a huge bite out of one cheek and teeth marks on her forehead. No, good. But her eyes were bright and intelligent. And her mouth curled into a smile as Hellboy appeared (laughs) in the line of sight. This is just a very, it's, he does a good job of setting this up here. Yeah. And of course, Hellboy's not gonna, you know, even think twice about this at all. She's like, oh, good. Uh, everyone's here so now we can start and so i love this little part here hellboy's aware that the others were probably completely unprepared for this but he'd spoken with the dead many times <laughs> and so he's just like hey what's up everyone's just completely freaked right. out and he's like yo all right cool lady Catherine says all of us hazard's magics trapped us here she says they're trapped there until martiku had been defeated mm. has been defeated Mardiku was mentioned in the last uh, set of chapters that we read. And, uh, I love the way he calls her man. Okay, you're going to have to give me a little more to go on, ma'am. Who is Hazrid? <laughs> Who's Martiku? Who is the... You know, he's like, you know, you've given me the name of an evil sorcerer, right. but like, where's his evil lair? You know, is what are, these, what are these zombie guys? You know, what's going on? <laughs> She's like, oh, I can't, I can't do this for much longer. Right, I'm yeah. dying. I'm dead. Um, there's an ancient Sumerian magician sorcerer and then all this stuff. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Well, she says that they're not safe there. Right. But she knows that Hellboy's not going to leave. So she's like, I will only say this. Be careful of spiders. Watch out for spiders. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to recall everything about what had happened. And she's like, oh, I remember Hazrid. And I remember the water. And I remember you need to be careful of these spiders. She's like, sure. Okay, got it. Yep. Anything else? What else? And this was mentioned in the last set of chapters. I actually had it in my notes and I forgot to mention it. The Oasis of Amon. Azred, I did look for that. Al Hazred is a recurring character in the works of H.P. Lovecraft. He is frequently cited as the author of the fabled Necronomicon, an occult text containing knowledge from beyond the earth. So Al Hazred, so maybe that's where they got the Hazred name from. And the Oasis of Amon uh, might be a reference to the Siwa Oasis. This is an urban oasis in Egypt, so that kind of lines up. It is east of the Libyan border. It is one of Egypt's most isolated settlements, and the people there are called Berbers, who developed a unique and isolated desert culture and a language called Siwi. Its fame lies primarily in its ancient role as the home of the Oracle of Amon, the ruins of which are a popular tourist attraction, which gave 
the oasis its ancient name, Oasis of Amun-Ra. That's what it's called now. I like that the historical fiction, you can actually go to this place. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's pretty cool. Your working theory is that they've taken the name Hazred from the name Al-Hazred, the guy who did the Necronomicon. And the story of, he's like the fictional that was the closest the that was the closest okay. like when i typed it into google it's interesting that was the no, closest that's thing that i could find yeah. and then after lady catherine like she dies again you know what i mean well, the, she, head, the, the head, head becomes, becomes alive and again Cregan throws up Ugh. he goes out and he vomits i think i probably might too you know? <laughs> it's gross it's very let's, gross. let's be honest i mean it's a severed yeah corpse head just talking yeah what's interesting here the arun guy he's he's uh apparently he's crouched on the ground right by the severed head and his eyes were wide and vacant and was crooning a haunting melody uh i which is interesting and so then he like they're like hey can you uh can you hear and he snaps awake and he's like oh hey what happened yeah. what's going on here and he's like oh, why don't you cover up this severed head here you know and so he looks down, he like shrieks in horror, scrambles right. he didn't away from realize it, didn't that he realize. was right in front of it. And he's like, oh, she was calling to me. She was, I was passing by the tent and she was whispering to me, I have to get out of here. I want to leave now. I got to go home. And so he's kind of freaking out a and, little. And they convince him to stay, right, which I which was kind of like, like I, if he in, wants in, to leave. In, in hindsight of what we're going to get into, yeah. it was like, you should have just let, this guy had a bad feeling. Something was already happening to him. They've kind of laid some like of the groundwork. I feel like anyone wants to yeah. bail. What, is it like an army kind of a thing? If he had left, would he have been like a deserter? Was he there of his own free will? Well, he is the historian. Okay, so he's, an, he's an historian. Yeah, yeah. So he could have just yeah. left. Yeah. If exactly. he was like, I don't want to be here anymore, they should have just let him go. I mean, honestly, that's kind of... So after all this happens, Hellboy's like, you know, to Bronzefield, you, you're pretty calm. Like, you were all right, right with that. She's like, hey, you know, we had some adventures. Uh, I've seen a lot of weird stuff with you. And he goes... Ah, uh, yes, Corfu. Now, that was weird. <laughs> Corfu is an island off Greece, northwest coast, and the Ionian Sea. It is defined by rugged mountains and a resort-studded shoreline. Well. So I wonder what happened there, I right? I know, yeah. I guess animated skeletons, maybe, with swords. <laughs> so they say tomorrow they're going to go back to that lake where those zombie soldiers came from. And I, um, I like this, you know, the end of the scene here where he's... He turns back around and he's like, oh, I got to get the severed head. And he so he kneels down and he gets the severed head of Lady Catherine. And very carefully, it says gingerly, he lifts the head and slides it back into the bag. And, and he like takes the entire bag with him. Right. <laughs> and he's like, oh, we might need her help later. Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> Like it's a magic eight ball. Yes, exactly. But it's an he's like, body. he's like, wait a minute, this is a tool now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I just found it so interesting that he took the whole, you know, because he knows how this works. Right. He's being very careful with it, but it just strikes me as just it's 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 very funny to me that he's like, yeah, yeah we're gonna need this, so I'm gonna take it with us. Opening chapter six. So Cregan is immediately pissed that they have the remains, right? He's like, that's the property of England. And Hellboy's like, look, I'll give it back to you when I'm done with it. Oh, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really feel like he said it was the property of England. He has to return her, her to uh, her family, which right, is part of yeah. the reason why he's there. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting. He, he, he says, what the hell do you think you're doing with that? And it's obvious what he means. Uh, he couldn't bring himself to refer to the severed head in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he couldn't even describe the object in the body bag. 
Because he saw the head talking. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, he's like, the remains must be yeah. turned to England. And this yeah. is very weird, but I, I know that I'm the boss. And Hellboy's like, look, I, I need to borrow this. I'm yeah. sorry. I know it's weird, but you'll and get it, over it. And he says, uh, we won't be around if she has something else to say. And that kind of like pulls the logic in. I like and how he just, you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. And he That's goes, great. Cregan just goes, well, don't lose it. Yeah. My head, Hellboy replied. And he could not uh, fight back a wide grin. I'll do my best not to. Jeez. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now I got a Queen song running through my head. Which one? Uh, Don't Lose Your Head okay. from the uh, okay. A Kind of Magic appeared in a uh, Highlander movie. You know, Don't Lose Your Head. Um. Don't Lose Your Head. <laughs> good job there. So there is this moment where. It's like, oh, well, Hellboy doesn't have anywhere to sleep. He doesn't have a tent. He just crash landed oh, he here. So where is he going to go? There's so, no bedroll. So, what is he going to do? So he starts following Anastasia into her tent, and she stops him. She goes, wait a minute. Uh, I don't think so. She said sternly. Oh, he fumbled. I'm sorry. I just thought. She laughed. Not you, silly. Just leave the head outside. Ah, uh, but um, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. That was good. Yeah, that's that was good. pretty good. That's good. I can see that playing out really well with like actual actors that yes. would be a very cute scene yeah. if like whoever david harbour or whoever would, there would oh, even I, be like a music cue you know what i mean like the music stops where she's like wait a minute i just love that <laughs> yeah i just love the idea of oh sorry i thought because it's just such an awkward mm. almost embarrassing where he's had just assumed and he's like i just thought because of it yeah. he's like got a <laughs> disgusting gory body bag She's like, no, you cannot bring that in here, please. Like, that's so gross. I just want to say in the margins of this next section, yeah. I wrote horny time, but I put horn. <laughs> I put a horn. The get it horny. Uh, horn. That was good. Horny. Oh, good one. Uh, I, I'm not trying to denigrate either this book or fan fiction, but it very much read as fan fiction, uh, well, which I'm okay with, which is like, it's fine. we have said this before and I'll say it again. It's fine. Fan fiction is fine. Well, I think like Do it. write it, it. I think it's interesting that you know it's we don't see a lot fiction. of we, we don't see a lot of Hellboy's you know quote unquote love life. Sure, you know there's the stuff with Alice there uh, as references to Anastasia Bronzefield. We don't really get in those moments. Yes, right. Yeah, we don't really get, and then so here they kind of give us something like that, and nothing really happens. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But it's Which just. Is, uh, but it does though. It's a very. Im- Here's the thing. There are well-written, good fan fiction, so I really don't mean that as a diss or a, a, you know, I'm not trying to, I know that sounds very cringy and awkward of me to say, but there are, and and not all of them include extremely graphic, you know, porno scenes. A lot of it is just this, just very horny right. people just <laughs> being just really, I, you I know, suggestive and because it was good. It was a lot good. of tension going on. When this scene started, I was like, wait, where are we going with this? But then I, I felt sure. like it was rather more sweet than anything else. But I, I agree with Danielle. It, it does feel kind of fan fiction. And that's not a knock. In a good fiction. way. In a good way. Yeah. It's a good it, fan but, fiction. It's a good one. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> so I just, you know, I'm also trying to destigmatize fan fiction while I say this. I feel like I, I think why it feels like it is kind of out out of place for me is because, like you said, like we don't get a lot of moments like this. Yeah. Like we, we get see references, but we don't actually, you know, it's usually more of a fade to black. Yeah. Let's slow it morning down. morning kind of thing. Yeah, you let's know? slow yeah. it down. Let's, let's bring in the YA yeah. and get some of that in. 
so I did want to read a little bit of this. Hellboy exhaled warm air with the faint scent of something spicy and exotic. Anastasia inhaled at the same moment, and the sensation of warmth and intimacy was very sensuous for her. She was happy he was asleep. If he were not, the moment might have led her to break through the wall of friendship they had so carefully constructed. Oh, no. Anastasia bit her lip with regret. She watched Hellboy's chest rise and fall, recalled so well the feel of that massive chest beneath her. His red flesh always hot to the touch, like, like laundry, laundry fresh, fresh from, from the, the dryer. dryer. Oh, I love it. During their time as lovers, even in midwinter, Anastasia had never needed a blanket or spread. Hellboy had been her own personal furnace. And I was like pulling the collar of my shirt. I was like, oh my God, what kind of book am I reading here? Is that hot in here, anybody? You got some water over here or something? Yeah, I was I was driving to the store when I heard when this chapter was listening. I'm like, wait a minute, Damn. am I about to? Yeah, I will say this: you do sleep very hot, though, like in a literal sense. Like you're very warm when you're asleep, right. and I sometimes have to actually push the covers off because it's so fucking hot. Like hot I, in I, like a literal like a temperature sense. Like you'd sleep hot. So I I related to this in a different way. I related to this section of the story in a way of like. That's so annoying. It's so hot when you're asleep. You got to kick the covers oh, okay, off. Okay. Like he's he's her own nah. personal furnace. Like what if it's hot though? That would be really <laughs> irritating. I would See, hate I, that. I would hate it. I, I'm, I'm agree with you on that one, Danielle, because I was sitting there thinking, damn, that just sounds sweaty and miserable. It sounds bad. Miserable. Yeah, I do not like that. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm on the other I'm end not of gonna that. S- <laughs> It's like, I'm not going to sleep uh, when it's too damn hot. <laughs> and it also says uh, she like strokes his face and stuff like that. In the, the memory stubble. brought a smile to her face and temptation to her heart. Uh, right. Amazing. And uh, she wonders, you know, what he would look like with his full horns. And that's when I wrote horny goes... moments. I wrote it in the, in the margins right there. Oh, man. Yeah, no, this is all very good stuff. But then uh, after this, when she finally lays down, there's like, oh, the fear washes over her and she starts thinking about all this terrible stuff. And like, that was very real for me. Yeah. Because like, right. I've had moments where like something's been bothering me and then I just forget about it because I just get distracted or whatever. And then all of a sudden and your then, eyes slam open and like three in the morning, you're like, oh shit, oh, I still have to deal with yes. this. Yes. And that was like, uh, I thought that that was a great way to cold, like break that scene. Yes. The dropping feeling that you get in that in your stomach and just the coldness that overtakes your entire torso is he did a good job describing that yeah um who would we cast for her who would we put oh i don't know man that's a great question for anastasia bronzefield yeah. they describe her as like blonde right and yeah. uh, well she doesn't have to be blonde i mean no, 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 dye no, someone's hair i mean it could be anybody put a wig on her um <laughs> any chance i get to put vanessa kirby in something I'll put her in something. Oh, right. I know. I think I know who that is. She's great. She would have the accent and all that. Yeah, she can do an accent. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The description of her in the book. Like, we could literally cast any person. Sure, you can cast cast anybody. cast Lupita uh, Nyong'o. Oh, that would be a great casting, too. I love her in anything. I want to put any excuse to put Lupita Nyong'o in anything. Yeah. I love her. No, I was thinking... um, we just saw uh, on Netflix. It's really great. I care a lot. It's also got Rosamund Pike. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if maybe she she's a little too. She gave an interesting performance. Uh, maybe she's a little too old, or she, I mean, Hellboy's like forty. Yeah, who gives yeah. a fuck? Cast Hellboy's any age, this, any yeah, race, yeah. anybody. Yeah. I, I, I'm just listing uh, actors that I like. Yeah, there's also another reference to this Obsidian Dance. It says 
the captivity there still haunted her. They talk about who drinks coffee and who doesn't. Oh, right. Hellboy drinks decaf. I live for little tiny character moments like this where they're talking about absolutely nothing. That is my favorite part of any book. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big fan of that. So I feel like, you know how when it's your family, you feel like you can make comments but if someone else makes a comment you're you're like hey yeah don't do that those are my favorite parts the little character moments for no reason are my favorite just for yeah. the character development Everybody's alone milling around in the morning i just love little coffee there's little conversations, conversations about yeah. nothing that only serve to be like this is a gratuitous character study i am all about that i thought it was uh another 90s thing in here was the she wears the dark aviator sunglasses with the new york uh, yankees cap there's you have to say what shape are they though john here in this illustration uh, they are round okay they're like the look, yeah. yeah they're the round this ones is the most 90s thing you've yeah, ever seen yeah that's very 90s i was like cool that's awesome <laughs> i love that they're not little at least they're not tiny because <laughs> you know exactly what you're picturing exactly what i'm talking about aren't you they're like some weird color, oh. like pink or orange or something Yep. <laughs> so she comes out and she wants to know where Lady Catherine is. You know, the big body bag. Hellboy has transferred it over to like just a little cloth drawstring bag that he cinched together. Hellboy's going to go dive in that lake. And they all talk about that they're going to go like bathe there too because they haven't had a bath in, you know, I don't know how long. So it's like you're going to go bathe in the place where people just got totally killed is there another place to bathe though like in the the middle of the sahara yeah yeah so you know yeah they will so she addresses the team and she tells them basically like now that they know what happened to lady catherine and their team some of them can go back to england like basically they don't have to stay look i know shit is weird if it's too fucking weird feel free to get the fuck out but we're gonna stay that's it. And immediately people are like noping out of this Yeah, I'm whole out thing, of right? here, yeah. I, I actually kind of like that because it's like, you know, she's not like trying to be all hard-ass like, we're all going to stay. No, right, shit. yeah. She's like, look, seriously, there's some I fucked up it. shit going on. It, yeah. We're staying, <laughs> but you guys literally can go home. And uh, I mean, I'd probably be on this shit. I'm, I'm bugging out. <laughs> it's right. also a mark of how to suss out like who's really yeah. going to be able to stick it out because... You don't want someone by your side who is in at the last minute when it matters the most going to fuck up and you can't depend on them and they're going to run away right when you need them the most. So you really don't want people like that in a situation like this. It's not useful. In the end, they were left with a team of just over a dozen members, including Jenny Marcus and Lahiri. Anastasia thought that somewhere between 20 and 25 people, including the MI5 agents and the captain. But the army didn't even know about the Oasis, and Anastasia wasn't going to tell them. Go ahead. I wouldn't tell the American army about I the know, Oasis either. Really? Jeez. And so they all set off, and at the last moment she's like, oh, what are we getting ourselves into? Nothing, Hellboy replied. We're already so deep into this thing that it's too late to go back. Has read whoever he is. Is power enough to prevent us from leaving if he feels like it. Going ahead is the only way now. Sounds so exhausting dealing with like wizards and whatever. <laughs> like, oh man, no. So they make it to the oasis. They all have their baths, and then they're instructed to like wait around the shoreline, looking for clues, looking for anything, Ugh. just anything that would lead them um, 
to any clues, right? Don't uh, look for evil wizard clues. Yes. It's not good. It's not good for you. So a Hellboy prepares to dive in. It, you know, there's a mention here that most of his stuff is waterproof or it's in like self-contained things where he doesn't have to worry about water. He's a Batman. Except for his gun. Um, he lays that down and also his flashlight. It was supposed to be waterproof, but he didn't trust the manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> well, to a certain yeah, point, I mean, it's waterproof to a certain point, I mean. Well, I was, yeah, and then like uh, the BPRD doesn't seem to have the best track record with uh, sure. equipment sometimes. There you go. We talked about that earlier in the other episode, yeah. A nice description of gain in the water by Christopher Golden and getting in cold water. Hellboy knew the chill water would be like a vice grip on his privates. Okay. <laughs> this guy talks about nutsacks a lot. He talks about testicles a lot in this book. Really? A surprising amount of, hmm. of testicle talk. I, I was just like, really? You're going to go with that description? <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess we're taking it there. That's fine. So Hellboy goes down. Anastasia's team is still looking on the shoreline. Um, I do like this description. Digging himself a hole in the water. Hmm. Yeah. For like trying to dive down. You sure. know, he's got the right hand of doom. Right. There's a nice little illustration also by Mignola. You think you'd just be able to like just relax and it just drags you right to the bottom. Right. Really? For real? <laughs> You're right. So he reaches the bottom. He's like feeling around. There's just like debris and stuff like that. He pushes himself off the floor because now he's starting to run out of air. He's got to go up and take another breath. Suddenly, something clamped around his ankle, digging into his flesh and dragged him back down. A sword, a face almost bare to the bone, but for scraps of rotting flesh and one pale white eyeball, as gelatinous and colorless as a boiled scallop. Yet it stared at Hellboy with malevolent fury. So there's one of these other Persian soldiers down there, and it's like buried itself into the sand just waiting for someone to step on it so he has a whole battle with that when i said uh he used his hooves to kick off the bottom to swim back up that's something i used to like to do in a pool is swim to the bottom and kick off them. oh yeah no and, skeletons in my pools though right exactly <laughs> nothing there to chop you there is a good uh description here hellboy reached down with the right hand clamped the stone fingers around the dead man's skull which he crushed in his palm like ancient plaster and he, like, pulls the arm off, too. There's a nice illustration of just the arm with the sword. And he takes the sword as well. And so he pops back up out of the water. And he, like, shows Anastasia the sword. And he's like, hey, look, I found something. <laughs> and he takes another breath and he goes back under. Chapter 7. We'll, we'll talk about this. There's a little bit of a disclaimer times. And I hate disclaimer times. That sucks. I, yeah, I hate doing disclaimer times on the Hellboy like Book it. Club. So... A while back, like, they were like, oh, they're going to do Bill and Ted again. And I was like, oh, I want to check that out. I love those movies. And I was like, I'm going to go back and watch the Bill and Ted movies because I have, like, the DVD that has both of them sure. on. And so then I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, I forgot how many times they say the F-bomb. Yeah, and I'm not good. talking about fuck. No, you know? we're talking about the bad one that's not good. All the homophobia in it. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes, not yes. And then, like... You know, Halloween times, we're watching, like, all the Freddy movies, and then we get to Freddy vs. Jason, and they drop the F-bomb in that, too. And I'm yeah, just like... it's not. I'm like, Come on. that didn't, you know, that didn't age well. And there are a lot of things in the 90s that I think became kind of like tropes. Mm -hmm. And one of mm -hmm. the things that I kind of feel like became tropes in the late 90s, early 2000s was, like, 
If you're a bad guy, you're into sexual violence. And if we want to show the audience that you're bad, you're going to be into sexual violence. Or you're going to want to have done it. Or you're going to have done it already. And people know about it. And they never thought about what that would feel like as a fucking audience member who just doesn't want to have to deal with that for one second in their fucking day yeah and so i i think like you want to paint that a character is a bad guy and there are certain ways to do it and and for doing it at the expense of the people reading your book is not a good fucking idea so that's the kind of lens that i and you were you're like 2021 eyes reading something from the late 90s you know something that blew my mind the other day someone was telling me the 90s are as far away today as the 60s were in the 90s you know what Ooh, I mean? That's like, all that mean. Yeah, and I was like, holy shit, that's, what the fuck? What the you know fuck? What I mean? Yeah. But it's true, you know what I mean? And and so you have to kind of look at, sometimes when you're looking at stuff like this, you need to have that lens and you need to go, okay, this was written at a time where maybe we're not as conscious of, you know. Also, though, I feel like it's okay for me to say that it sucks. Yeah. At the same oh, time, yeah. I just want to be like, this sucks. So Lahiri is there, he's... With Anastasia, there's this scene. The scene starts off like they're just talking about like, oh, well, what happened to the people that were here? Where did they go? You know, how did they die out? What happened to them? And there's this first line where it says, if Anastasia knew half of what Lahiri was thinking, she'd probably have him arrested. Gross. So there's that. Uh, and then it mentions in Lahiri's eyes, every moment with her was distraction and temptation. So there's that line too. And then we go back to the plot where they're like, oh, you know, if the army disappeared, Lady Catherine's expedition disappeared, then it has something to do with this oasis. And then here she's like, Hellboy used to be my boyfriend. He's great. And then this guy's like, that's disgusting. What the shit? Yeah, he has that initial reaction. And um, he says he isn't even human. And she says, you are not a physician or a biologist or an anthropologist. It is not for you to judge. Who is and is not human. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, now I see you're just another judgmental asshole. So he's like, oh, no, I made a mistake. And he's. Yeah. So he does feel bad about it initially. (laughs) And then he's thinking about it. And he's like, "Ah, I can't believe she would choose a beast over a great guy like me. Just just remember. I just remember all I can think about in this moment is the fucking is. Was it like a tweet? Like, why would. You want a steak dinner when you could have this hot dog on the ground. <laughs> it fell on the ground. Why don't you want it? Like, well, because you're gross, probably. And uh, yeah, it says it nauseated him just thinking about, you know, them being together. It's none uh, of your you business, do. though. <laughs> so then he's still looking along the shore and he finds something jutting out of the sand. It's a golden disc. He reaches down and when he grabs it, a jolt runs up his arm like some kind of seizure, like he's being electrocuted or something. Just a, have have either of you ever been electrocuted? I don't think I've ever actually so been electrocuted. So when he described this happening, I recalled the time that I was electrocuted, and it's like like you basically cannot fucking move, like your whole body freezes right. up, and you just like if you can get free of the current, then you will kind of collapse and be like, uh, right, uh, and uh, so like. Thankfully, it was just like a regular house current. Oh, I see. And wasn't anything too extreme. Right. 
So like I got kind of a very mild, vague taste of what. So that's just all I could think about when he touched that thing. It made me remember when I wow. touched an outlet yeah. by accident. Well, and it says like she tries to tell, she tells him, "Are you okay?" And he wants to say no, but he can't. He cannot because he's all like, he's whatever. All f- yeah, exactly. You basically like it controls your. It's such a weird fucking sensation. It tenses up all your muscles, and you can't move or break the so you know thankfully the current was broken like if that just yeah. as soon as i had hit it but like i would hate to actually ever be fucking electrocuted no, like, yeah. that, that's the scariest horrible. thing even the most mild tiny baby version of it was so scary to me that i was like Ugh. and then it says and then all those thoughts and feelings inside of him roiled like acid in his stomach bilious and sickening Remorse became disgust, guilt became anger, affection became a punishing lust. He was no longer capable of thinking about Anastasia Bronsfield as his friend. The only term that came to his mind with her image was... Filthy slut! (laughs) No, this is ridiculous. And I tell you what, like, I had to think of it in the goofiest voice I could conjure up. Because other, otherwise it would have been completely fucking unreadable. We will drag his ass in front of the Council of Thirteen. Nobody double-crosses the monarch! You know, he's a good writer. He doesn't have to do this. The evil wizard's medallion made me do it is not... <laughs> I'm sorry, man. It's just not good enough for me. Well, you it's know... It's not enough for me. I, um, Agreed. Uh, Aubrey and I... I didn't know there were two different versions of this book. I just ordered three versions okay. of, of the book okay. online. So there's a pocket version, and then there's like a regular version. Aubrey and I are reading the pocket version. Danielle's reading the regular version, which is bigger. Am I? Okay. And uh, the so for bigger. for us, for me and Aubrey, in in four pages, it says that term eight times. It's a lot. And I imagine for you, maybe it's like eight times in two pages or three pages. It's a lot. And it's just like a lot for one scene. Like we get it. It's just kind of like we, we, we get it okay, already. Man. But he key And then... He kind of snaps out of it. on this this phrase. Yeah, it it it, it goes. It, it's a little much, and he he snaps out of it when he hears his own words. He's recoiled. He can't believe that he would think such a thing, and then he goes back into it again. Filthy so, so he's kind of like yeah. uh, he's kind of like fighting with himself. You know, he's he's having horrible thoughts about what he could do to Anastasia at the same so that, time. So that's it's when we get into the boring. You know, the uh, it's boring sexual violence. You know, kind of like that's what he's thinking, and so it's meant to be like. Now this guy has turned evil and nobody knows that he's evil. But it's like You know what? Big the, yawn. The, the 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 method that they went that they went about doing it is, you know, it just didn't age well. It's lazy. And looking at it through a 2021 eye just was kind of like uh, even in the audiobook it was like it's it was, very obvious it's a lot so i actually listened to this particular chapter this morning as i was walking my dog so i just like woken up and i'm walking the dogs and I, it gets to this whole thing and i'm just like well this is a this is a lot to take in it's excessive it I, I i mean i can't really tell you when i started noticing this particular trope and just started hating it was the the unrequited love friend like i love this woman so much but she doesn't she only likes me as a friend that whole ducky syndrome from fucking pretty in the pink um <laughs> i feel i tell you what i'm tired of you it know, too <laughs> and you know i mean in, anytime i see it i'm just like Ugh, this fucking bullshit again but then you know he touches the medallion and all of a sudden now he's possessed and he's having these evil thoughts. But like you said, like yeah, had, had she knew his thoughts before he even touched the medallion. So 
maybe if he would been maybe if his thoughts had been like man i wish i could eat a bunch of pizza and be like pizza of the dying oh my god pizza pizza is a filthy slut it's just this kind of fucking behavior that's it's it's not acceptable if somebody doesn't return your feelings move the fuck on right you well, know? We, know, we i mean yes that's and then, but yeah but then also then the guy reading the book uh, reading the audio and it's just like i'm like Ugh. He, i felt yeah. i i felt dirty after listening to this and i was just like why is this going on for so long and yeah. i can imagine that some people will be like well if you because re- so you really don't like the character you really don't like him i did a good job then i made you hate the character oh that was my goal no no i didn't like devin but I thought the writing was good. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how you write one. a villain. Yeah, there you go. Sure. I like that, Aubrey. I believe it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, that was kind of a bummer, to be honest, This in, in this chapter. Kind of moving on, they go on to describe the medallion. It was etched with unfamiliar symbols and the image of a jackal. Without jackal. another thought, he slipped the medallion in his pocket. He ought to have presented it to Anastasia immediately. It was, after all, the first significant artifact they found. But the urge to pocket it was uncontrollable. It felt warm in his pocket, with only light cotton separating the medallion from his flesh. Arun smiled again, but he felt more in control than he had moments before. Stronger. So now it's kind of like, it's, it kind of reminded me of the One Ring, you know, it's kind of like possessing sure, him. Sure, yeah, it's the it's One Ring. It's a coveted was, object, right. you know. It's the One Ring, except say, not it's, as it's, cool. Yeah, it reminded me of... So then Anastasia comes and she's like, hey, are you all right? And she tries to like talk to him. You know, is everything cool? And he's like, oh, I'm perfect. And then he says it again. We get it. It's just ridiculous. It becomes ridiculous, doesn't it? After a while, it just becomes absurd. It was. It really was. Like, all right, man. You know, so, you know, you know, we're going to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. You know, this it's is a book club. It's episodes. a book club. You know, you guys know us already. It's a book club. We have, you know, we're gonna bring it up. That he started it. This is not our fault. <laughs> he put it in the book, like. And also, it, it's something that we really haven't ever actually encountered in the health. That's exactly story. what I'm saying. So like it, it just it, takes me out of it. It really takes yeah. me out of it. You know, I think Mark Tweedell was trying to preempt this by being like, "Well, they were still trying to find their footing and all this stuff." Right. And okay. Yeah. I don't know about that though. I really don't because it's so out of pocket. So back with Hellboy, he's underwater. He's got the sword now. And I like this. He's like swinging it around. He's like, man, this sucks underwater. I like that he's underwater with a sword. That's good stuff. See, that's Hellboy. That's Hellboy for you. Yeah. I like that we're right back into that. That's classic Hellboy swinging a sword underwater. He can hear some kind of high-pitched sound underwater. And there's this line that I really like. Sword in his left hand, destruction in his right. He moved forward swiftly. Nice. I like when they, anytime they mention his hooves, because he talks about how his right hoof struck something. Right. There's also like a strange luminescence glowing in this cave that he's exploring. Talking about glyphs and symbols in an ancient language. Now we know that we're in trouble here. Yeah, he finds this tablet and he's like, oh, this is probably what Lady Catherine's team was looking for. Some kind of sea monster was depicted on it. Okay. It lashed out at small human figures. It's like, that should be telling you something. I mean, it seems, it's just very, this, I hate to keep bringing up Lord, Lord of the Rings. I know that, the Lords of the Rings. I know that we've already brought this up, but I mean, you know, when you've got a, a body of water that you've got an illustration of a fucking sea monster next to it, 
maybe just look out for the yeah. sea monster <laughs> that's in there, inevitably going to be in there. So Hellboy's like, maybe Anastasia or Lahiri can translate this, so he tries to pull it out of the ground. Although, is that not in Lord of the Rings? No, I mean, there there is that lake right outside. There's uh, a lake, but uh, I don't know if there's a tablet that illustrates the monster. I think it's just that, like, Gandalf knows it's that... in there, and he's like, hey, don't do that, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have a similar Lord of the Rings feel to it. Yeah, it's well. kind of Lord of the Rings-ish a little bit. I like this description where it's like he tries to clamp down on it to pull it out even harder, but he doesn't want to break it because he's got the right hand of doom. So he's got to be right. careful about that. <laughs> It gave way slightly, and he was encouraged. He barely noticed the growing glow in the deep cave, or the heightening pitch of the wailing he could still hear underwater. So suddenly he pulls it out, and he's like, yes! And then all this green light is in the cave. That's not good. That can't be good. Flashing lightning up towards him. The ground is shaking. No good. The glaring green light was blocked for a moment, in the shadows thrown by the luminescence, long protrusions whipped back and forth like Medusa's hair. This is all very good. See, this is all very good. I know. I he love can that do, description. Yeah. That's like that. What do you call that? The lassophobia, where you're scared of just like giant things under the water. Oh, is you that know a what thing? I mean? okay. Yeah, it is. Wow. Um, I think there's like a subreddit like devoted oh, to that or something. Well, and this is kind of like what that reminds sure. me of is like just the shape of just some giant thing yeah. that's coming up. From, this is all excellent yeah. writing. This puts me right back into it. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I, I'm reading this. I'm very interested in all of. I love all of this. It's fantastic. It's very just. The descriptions are excellent. It's very well written. It's good stuff. The tentacles come up and grab Hellboy, and it's like Hellboy thought that he's going to be dragged down, but so ecstatic was the creature from its newfound freedom that it just kept coming. The side of the lake erupted as the creature bowled its way out of the earth. So it comes out and all the tentacles and it's grabbing people and killing people. It like gets one guy and beats him against the ground and against this other lady and pulls her into the lake. Oh, there's this great illustration. Oh, my God. Of Mignola. Yeah. Uh, Hellboy reaching up. I really love that. I love this view of his head. Like it's just the circle and then the two little horn stubs. But you can see that it's like the top of his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. I fucking love that. That is so cool. I can't believe I've never seen this illustration it's before. It's an incredible illustration. I really like this one That's a lot. Awesome. This is like... Yeah, I mean, I'm actually in, enjoying all the illustrations in the book. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. This one's truly fantastic. This is like top tier. Why uh, doesn't he just put his goggles on? He's got them right there. <laughs> <laughs> the beast surged up out of the water and Hellboy looked down. From nearly 100 feet in the air, he stared into the single cyclopean eye of the beast from the Oasis Caves. Nice, nice. Whatever it was, prehistoric monstrosity or other dimensional god, nice. it had an eye. It could see. It could be hurt. I like that that's his logic. No. It's like, ah, that's the weak spot. Other dimensional god, but you have an eye. I'm going to stab it. Stab you in the eye. I like there's this whole moment where he can't get in his belt, and so he has to suck in his gut and try to get his hand down in there. That's a good description. He pulls out the magnesium flare, and he, like, pulls it. He closes his eyes, and he pulls it, and it sparks in his face. But uh. he but he just knows, like, he can survive it, you know what I mean? But it still burns your face, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I thought that was pretty badass. And then he drops it with, like, perfect timing, where right when it gets to the eye, it blows up. And so that makes the creature retreat back into the cave below. That's classic Hellboy. 
It's good stuff. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Chapter 8, we're back over here with the MI5 guy, Cregan. And he's like, ah, this is a crazy thing. I can't believe what's happening. Disembodied heads didn't often speak to him. Didn't often speak to him. I mean, that means it's happened more than once. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing human could have done what had been done to those poor bastards on Lady Catherine's archaeological team. Otherwise, the killers would have been in the British government's employ during the Falklands War. I was like, what is that all about? So the Falklands War was a 10-week undeclared war between Argentina and the United Kingdom. Over two dependent territories in the South Atlantic, the Falkland Islands and its territorial dependency, South Georgia and South Sandwich Islands. The result of the war was a British victory. Part of uh, Pink Floyd's The Final Cut is about that, the uh, Falkland Wars. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, cool. I th- But then he goes on to say to himself... Uh, well, I'm not crazy. My thoughts are clear and rational. That's what's disturbing me is that I'm... But okay, just bear with me. If you're thinking irrationally, you're not going to necessarily know that and be able to sure? <laughs> piece out what's a clear and rational thought and what's uh. not. That's When you're suffering from psychosis, you don't know what's real and what isn't. And you, sometimes you think things that aren't real, you think that they are real. Sometimes you think things that are real are not real. So it's very how would he know if he's if he's right. having if he's having thoughts that are not rational? He wouldn't necessarily know that anyway. That just struck me as very <laughs> Okay, man, whatever you say. <laughs> okay. But it is his own internal monologue, so <laughs> Yes, exactly that. That's exactly right. So I'm like, this guy is weird. So Cregan gets all the MI five agents together. And he's like, look, guys, uh, we're going to stay here until we have some answers for the prime minister. We can't stroll back into Buckingham Palace and just tell the queen that the cousin's little girl got beheaded by some paranormal force. We have to get to the bottom of this. They kind of tell him, like, hey, we're not really trained for this. Like, we're MI5, but we don't know anything about, like, magic stuff or any of this, you know. This guy, Rickman, he tries to speak up and Cregan's like, don't be so damn hesitant, man. And he's like, well, I think we should stay with Hellboy. He's drawn to this thing, or they're drawn to him, and, you know, that's that should be what we do, or whatever. Yes, we will do that, but you don't get to be with Hellboy, because you like him too much. Like, that's the kind of guy this, this guy what is, you know fucking... what I mean? <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, Rickman was a little too much in awe of Hellboy. It could get the man killed. If he thought that was unfair, so be it. Fairness was hardly a part of Cregan's job description. You have your orders, he said, and I have mine, came a voice from just outside the tent. (laughs) It's Colonel Shapiro again, so he's there, he's coming to their thing, and so all the agents pull their guns on him. There's all the guns from all the MI5 agents, like, aiming in his head. Shapiro's like, my superiors say that you guys have to get out of here. And then Cregan says, well, my superiors aren't your superiors, and so I don't have to do what you say. And then Shapiro's like, well, we can't defend you, and you're in danger, and something might happen to you, and we can't take care of you. And Cregan's like, well, you can't force us to go. Uh, well, starting Without starting an incident. <laughs> there you go. That's what he says. Without starting an international incident. Shapiro's like, well, out of courtesy, I would appreciate it if they could at least lower their weapons. And so Cregan does not ask them to do that. And he's like, I apologize for your discomfort, but you're intruding on a meeting that you would call top secret. My men are merely following protocol for such an intrusion. And so they just kind of like stare each other down. This is very much like 
who's got the bigger dick or whatever, you know, who sure. can, who's can pee the longest or I don't know, something stupid like that. Who can yeah, pee the I'm... longest? Is that a thing? I don't know. So who can pee I, the longest? I, I, Is that just I, who drank more water or what? I, Are you I've mean the farthest, a like a pissing contest, like literally a pissing contest? Like, is it, do you measure who pees the farthest or who pees the longest? Like the longest amount of time peeing? The longest or the farthest? I've never been in a pissing contest like that. Like, I I'm asking you, like, no. Well, what I would is, think. What are the criteria for I winning say, the pissing I just, contest? I don't know. I'm just making this up right now. Okay. Okay. So I'm, right. I'm saying um, the more water you drink, the more badass you are uh-huh. because water is awesome. That's true. Um, but you can't drink too much water because mm. that might fuck you up. So if you sure. know how to drink the right amount of water, yes. but it's still a lot of water, right. you're going to pee a lot. Uh-huh. And so that would be the winner. Okay. <laughs> got it let us know what you excellent. think excellent wonderful well, I, I was gonna say uh, very I scientific the, uh, i did get the uh, feeling that this was just like a dick waving contest <laughs> is that really, a contest we, we, we could sum up this whole section as they they're having a dick waving contest right. <laughs> who's waving their dicks in a contest do you guys do this no, it's just something you know. What? It's just a, it's just it's slang the, you the, the, It's the equivalent of the guy in the giant truck, uh, lifted truck with the giant tires, <laughs> like cutting in front of you in traffic and like blowing smog all over your <laughs> sedan or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> the colonel says, if war happens and this camp is vaporized by Libyans or maybe even friendly fire, you know, okay. like we might do it by accident. I don't even know. You can't say that you weren't warned. And so Cregan is like, well, if your troops wake up in the morning and find that somebody slit your throat in the night, then we'll go after whoever did it. And so that's basically it. Well, then uh, after he leaves, like Rickman says, he's former CIA, sir. And he goes, former, current, I'd say. Yeah. So what does that mean? What is that supposed to say? I guess because the CIA, like... Um... They're a bunch of assholes, yeah. apparently. <laughs> no offense to any CIA listeners, but you know. You know who you are. <laughs> oh, they're listening to us, all right. So back with Hellboy, you know, they just had this giant lake monster come out. Two people got killed. All this kind of stuff happened. So, you know, Anastasia says she's going to let them go home. But she says, I'm not going anywhere, not until I have answers. There was a red spark in Hellboy's eyes when he smiled. Sometimes Anastasia believed it was there, and other times she thought it was a trick of the light. But she saw it just the same. There had been times when the brightness in his eyes had been quite intimate. As if something in his mind, a fire burned just for her. That's what I figured, he said. Let's get back to the camp and grab those supplies. Then we'll start checking out those caves. So they're back. They're getting all their stuff together. Hellboy's got Lady Catherine's head. Anastasia's looking at the tablet. And Hellboy sees Lahiri is just looking at her. Like he's not looking at the tablet. He's looking at her face. Lahiri says it's a combination of Persian and Egyptian languages. Obviously, part of the text is warning not to remove the tablet or else face wrath of the, I think this says the ancient one or the elder beast, something like that. Doesn't sound great, though. So, yeah, that made me think of uh, Lovecraftian kind of references, the elder one or Mm -hmm. something like that. And Hellboy, you know, he's kind of flushed with embarrassment, but he can't really, you know, he realizes like people died because of this mistake that I made. You know what I mean? Like I shouldn't have pulled that out. The tablet also says something about opening a doorway or passage made of black flame or some such perhaps a reference to sulfur arun suggested so yeah so uh, there are a lot of little things like that where whether or not they meant for it to 
coincide with what would happen later in the books but they do mention the black flame right there so that's kind of pretty cool and interesting kind of super cool Mm -hmm. and then arun's like that's all that i could really find sorry and hellboy says don't sell yourself short professor i can't read the sunday funnies without a decoder ring so here's another thing that kind of like it's probably totally coincidence that adam hughes drew hellboy getting a lobster johnson decoder ring in that little pinup in the Krampusnacht issue that we recently discovered but he also mentions a Dakota ring, so it's kind of like, hey, you know, those two little things line up. So I always like that. And then Hellboy's like, I guess it's just the four of us. And they're like, four? And he's like, don't forget Lady Catherine. He's got the head. That's a very <laughs> Hellboy moment. I it's felt extremely, like yes. I could see that in the comics or even in the movie. I felt like that was very, that was the voice of Hellboy. Yeah. So then Cregan comes over. And he's like, uh, hey, three of my agents are coming with you guys. And Anastasia tells them that they're sending the rest of the team home. So Burke, Carruthers, and Meanie, they go with Hellboy. And then the rest of them are staying with Cregan. Hellboy says, great. Mo, Larry, and Shemp. We don't even get Curly on our team. So that's a reference to the Three Stooges, an American vaudeville and comedy team from 1922 to 1970. Best known for their physical farce and slapstick. You know, Shemp was actually one of the original Stooges, and then Curly took over as Shemp's replacement. Then Curly was there until 1946. He suffered a massive stroke, and Shemp agreed to come back, replacing his brother as the third Stooge again. But a lot of people think that Shemp replaced Curly, but he was actually the original third Stooge. Isn't that weird? Did you know that? I did not know that. Never really been a fan of them, so. Yeah, me neither. But I do remember a lot of movies in the 80s where main characters were obsessed with the Three Stooges for some reason. Yeah, there were a lot of Three Stooges just references in pop culture a lot during the late 80s and early, early 90s. Definitely through the 80s and 90s. I mean, I definitely remember hearing a lot about it. I think it started to die off at the end of the 90s, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they asked Cregan why he's staying behind. Are you protecting the camp against the Libyans or Colonel Shapiro? He says, any outside interests of any kind. In the meantime, as long as your instructions do not controvert the orders I myself have given to my men, I have commanded them to obey you, Cregan says. What a guy, Hellboy responds. The question is, what are their orders from you? And so Cregan looks over at Hellboy. He's like, I'm sorry, Hellboy, but you don't have clearance for... Hellboy interrupts him. I have the clearance for anything I want to know, Captain. But don't worry, I won't push it. Besides, if I need to know anything, I can always talk to Lady Catherine. And so Cregan gets pissed about that because he's all mad about that they have the head anyway. That's pretty good. Chapter 9. So now they're checking out these caves. Most of them end in a dead end. Three of them kind of go in all these different directions. One's blocked off by a cave-in. One leads to this giant open cavern. And then so two hours later, they're in the last one. And they're like, this has got to be it. But they find themselves at a dead end again. Hellboy shrugged. It just didn't feel right to him. If there was some passage underwater through the caves, it only made sense that there was some passage from above ground as well. He tried to remember what Lady Catherine had said. And so Lahiri, uh, Arun Lahiri, he starts feeling all bad. You know, he says, like, I feel strange, my body aches, and all this kind of stuff. They should have just let this guy go home, like, initially when yes, he wanted to. that is true. They didn't know he was going to be turned out to be a creepy asshole. Right. <laughs> So Hellboy takes out the head again, and there's a nice panel of him holding it by the hair. But there's no response. He turned to the others. The head isn't helping. 
I guess we should go back. But then it starts talking again. I really like this scene with the head. It's a little different because the head is like dying and then coming back to life. Like it talks for a little bit and then it's like her eyes seem to die again for a moment, staring off, unmoving into nothing. Then she coughed slightly and a bit of blood dropped out on the side of her mouth. There were insects in it, some kind of sand chiggers or something, Hellboy thought. Those are like little mites. Those are like uh, desert mites or whatever. In the darkness of the cave, he heard one of the MI5 men retching. I think this is kind of funny. Like if this was cinematic, like every time they pull the head out, somebody throws up. Like that's kind of funny. I don't know. You know, it's I, a good I, gag. I, I, I thought that it's was a humorous. good gag. So the head comes back to life and it tells them the entrance is near. While they're down there, Lahiri is still, like, freaking out. It says, Hellboy had excellent vision. Despite the cave's dim illumination, he could see Arun was sweating profusely. The man looked awful, sickly. Anastasia tells them to all spread out and, you know, stick to one wall of the cave and run their hand along it. And everybody, like, take a different part. You were mentioning you like when they mentioned Hellboy's hooves. Yeah. I thought this was an interesting moment here. Every step he took, the click of his hooves echoed eerily within the cavern. It was a hollow, inhuman sound that he had to keep reminding himself originated with him. He had become so used to the sound that it did not normally even register to him, but in a small, enclosed space, and with that horrible echo, he could not escape it. So there's these little moments where he's like, oh, I'm I'm not like any everybody else, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. I thought that was a cool little character moment. Suddenly, one of the guys, he finds something. A depression in the wall they hadn't noticed before. So this guy, Meanie, he walks into this recessed corner and he kind of like disappears. And they're like, wow, this is like a natural illusion or something. And so I like this description. It says, there was an opening from the floor to ceiling, a passage right in front of them. It was a shadowy corner of the cavern so that at first it only seemed to be a natural depression in the wall. The passage was only five feet deep with a large stone obelisk standing at the end as if someone had cut a door in the wall and shoved it backwards. If one walked into the gap and stepped forward into the recessed stone, there were openings to the left and right leading out into the cavern. I thought that was a really cool description and I could definitely visualize that thing. I don't know. Uh, It reminded me of that part in uh, Labyrinth where... uh... You know, Jennifer Connelly's character running through the thing, and he's like, there's no turns or anything, and then she meets the worm, and he's like, it's right there, and then she walks over to the wall, and he's like, oh, and, you know, she can go one way or the other. Right, yeah, it is kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. So they all go in there, they're going to split up, they're going to go one way or the other, and then Arun Lahiri, he's like, oh, well, I want to go with you, Anastasia. At first, Hellboy assumed it was another example of his infatuation, but then another more disturbing thought entered his mind. Hooves clacked on the stone. He stepped over to where Arun stood with the MI5 agents. And he's like, look, if you've translated something or you know something else, you need to tell us right now. If we're in danger, you'd be a fool not to say so. Is there anything else you want to share? And he's like, no, not at all. So there's a chance where he could have been like, yeah, I found this medallion and it's turning me into an incel. (laughs) (laughs) But he doesn't say anything. You know, I guess he's already under the grips of this thing. But anyway, he sure, also it says was the medallion, the power was in you all along uh, to be a little go. shit. Yeah, it does say that. But I do like Hellboy says uh, not to mention pissing me off. Yeah. 
his patience is running out with this guy already. He hears that weird noise again, a sing-song melody that might have been the weird noise he heard in the lake earlier. And a few more paces ahead, he began to notice the tunnel seemed to have a small luminescence of its own, like uh, also he saw in the water. So they hear a scream, so they go and they find the other group, and it says, Meanie stood over a rune who was crumpled on the ground hysterical. One of the other two agents leaned against the tunnel wall. They tell him that Burke is dead, one of the MI5 agents. Hellboy starts running after that to see, like, whatever happened, and they're like, no, don't go down there. Or at least keep your flashlight aimed at the ground. It starts to slope, don't take another step. So Hellboy goes down there. It says that he also hears a sound, something moving. The sound of friction. So he stops there, and he's, like, looking for something in his pockets. It says, uh... Hellboy hated to waste it. It might have come in handy later, but a man was dead and he deserved to have people know how he died. And so he pulls out a flare. And so Arun Lahiri, he's like, you have a flare? You've had it all this time? You could have used it before. Hellboy says, if I'd used it before, I wouldn't have it now. So I like that. He's only got one. He's got to decide when to use it. Um, Yeah. I like the, you know, the survival horror element. You know, you only have a certain amount of ammo. You only have a certain amount of things. You have to use it at the right time. And he tossed the flare down. Agent Burke stared up at him with bulging dead eyes. And things moved, slithered over one another. Asps, anacondas, cobras, dozens of other breeds. Thousands of them down there, dragging the man's body down among them. Burying him in their leathery hides. And we get a nice Mignola illustration of a snake here. I like this. It also made me think of um, Witchfinder, the City of the Dead. Wasn't there like a huge thing of snakes down there too? Oh, yeah. 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 Evil Why snake horde. Snakes. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's a very Indiana Jones moment here. Yeah, Hellboy's like, I hate snakes. Snakes are good and wonderful. Hellboy's like, y'all are all going back. He's like, I'm going to do this by myself. You know, I should have n- never let you guys come down here. And Anastasia's like, well, I'm in charge here, and no one's going anywhere. And so Hellboy goes over to, over to her, and he's like, look, I know you're tough. This is really risky. She's like, well, why should I have to go back and you stay? He says, I'm a lot harder to kill than you are. Which is a good reason. That's true. <laughs> and she just laughs it off. She says, lucky for you, or I'd have killed you long ago. And so Lahiri, make, he doesn't like this little flirty moment, and he makes like a sound or a little comment or something. And Hellboy's like, you got something you want to say? But Lahiri shrinks back. Hellboy knew he was lying. Because um, he, he says no. you're a terrible liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said no, but that's not true. Yeah. So they do mention that the guy that died, they say if there's anything they want to say to him, because obviously they're not going to be able to go get his body from all those snakes. And so um, his colleague Carruthers says an old Welsh blessing that Burke particularly liked. May you be in heaven a half hour before the devil knows you're dead, old friend. I always thought that was an Irish thing, so that's interesting. Yeah, so um, that is what I found it as. It comes from the last line of an Irish drinking toast. Okay. May your glass be ever full. May the roof over your head be always strong. And may you be in heaven half an hour before the devil knows you're dead. Huh, interesting. I mean, I'm sure that's spread to other regions and other people. Yeah, yeah. This guy Carruthers, he's like, I got a score to settle, so I'm coming with you, (laughs) Hellboy. You know, but before Hellboy can even argue with him, they hear a muffled sound and there's a wetness uh, at his hip. And in the canvas bag tied to his belt, something moved. So it's the ca- Lady Catherine's yeah. trying to talk in the bag. Oh, that was pretty good. She says, the door is disappearing. 
So they're like, oh shit, they run back and now it's closed up, the little passage where they went through. Arun Lahiri says, we're trapped here now. We're gonna die here. Then his voice changed a little, became almost perverse in its glee. And so Hellboy goes over and he claps his hand on the dude's back. Oh, man. And that, like, brings him down on the ground. He's like, you need to calm down. <laughs> I have a feeling there are at least a couple of other ways out of here. Dangerous, maybe, but we knew that before we came down here. Whatever kidnapped and slaughtered Lady Catherine's and her friends wasn't selling Girl Scout cookies. Well, they don't know that for sure. They <laughs> might have also been selling Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. As they're going along the cavern, they also see the, the green glowing. So there's like a lot of uh, tension here build up as they're like in the cave. They can't see anything. They hear singing and then something skittered along the stone in the darkness ahead. It's a spider about as big as Hellboy's left hand. And so Hellboy crushes it with his hoof. What the hell? Carruthers began, but his voice trailed off. Good God, Meanie cried. Three flashlights converge on a huge network of silver gleaming strands which hung across the chasm like a net. Clinging to that bottom of that web was a spider that had constructed it. It was red and black, a mammoth creature at least six feet across and abdomen alone. Its eight spindly legs were at least a dozen feet long, and the two set of mandibles in its gaping pink maw were sharp indeed. More like tusks than anything else. This is Lords uh, of the Ringsies. It is. It's <laughs> yeah. very, yeah. But I guess that is, that's like an Egyptian thing too, right? Would they, in the desert, there's usually like giant spiders or something, right? And like, you I know, mean, whenever there's like in the mummy movies, isn't there like a giant spider? Oh, you're talking there? about like in, I mean, I mean, there are giant spiders in the desert. Yeah. They're very cute and I love them and I want to pet them like a puppy. But you're talking about like in the movies when there's, I'm a gross spider. Yeah. I yeah, mean, the first yeah. thing I think of is you're, you, well, I mean, you just said it as Lords of the Rings. That's all I, I actually yeah. just watched some mummy movies recently. Oh, okay. Is there, are it's, there gigantic uh, spiders in there? Bigger uh, in than the a man? In the first one, they have those uh, scarabs. Oh, so the no. scarabs, the flesh. And then scarabs. in the second one was a giant scorpion slash rock monster. And when I say rock, I mean Dwayne <laughs> the, the Rock, the rock Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I guess there's. I guess I'm wrong. There's no spiders in, uh, in the desert. I just start thinking of Shelob. That's all I yeah. start thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, but I like this. Like, you think there's going to be like some Hellboy fight, and they're just like shoot the thing, and it j they just blow it away, you right? Know, with the guns. That's why they have those MI5 agents there. I like that. But then there's all these other little spiders, and one of them bites one of the guys, and I was like, Jeez. oh, that is not good. That does not bode well. That's not what you want. Spiders are typically not going to be aggressive, but this is like a magic wizard spider, apparently. So. It's going around biting people. They're on this, like, narrow ledge. Hellboy's hoof goes through the ledge, and so Anastasia grabs him. And Hellboy's like, thanks, but you shouldn't have done that. I could have dragged you down with me. I go where you go, she said calmly. Now let's move on. They turned their attention back to the path in front of them. As Arun stepped over the hole, Hellboy had punched through the ledge. A loud, rumbling, cracking noise echoed through the caverns. Oh, jeez, Hellboy said. <laughs> then the ledge gave way beneath their feet, and all five of them tumbled into the chasm that's a very hellboy line right yeah there. yeah Super characteristic yeah. of hellboy i'm loving all of this and that's where we leave off at okay. the here you know they've they're they're in the cavern they're falling down the hole one of the mi5 agents is dead one of them has been bitten by a spider arun lahiri has an incel medallion that is turning him into a creepazoid <laughs> More like bringing out his creepazoid nature yeah and then we also have uh are we gonna do it or not that's just, which is fun. That's I fun. like it. Yeah, it's good. 
Yeah, I like the relationship with Hellboy and Anastasia Bronsfield. We never get this. We never get any of that. Yeah, so it is good. good. It's good stuff. And I, you know, for all our criticisms of Chapter Seven, I did. You know, I am enjoying the writing in there. There's a lot of good writing. I am enjoying the book. Yeah, I I think like you know, I I don't want to just go. Well, let's not talk about this, or let's just skip over that. I want us to be able to go like, well. Let's look at this through like a meaningful lens and let's kind of, you know, try to get some perspective. On... I don't want to hand wave it away, though, with like, well, it was of the time. Because yes. as we know, like, that's not a fucking excuse, though. It's yeah, just not. Agreed. Like... Yeah, there's plenty of stuff that came out in the 90s that, you know, didn't resort to this kind of thing. And, and I, yeah, I don't want to harp on that too much. But overall, you know, uh, really loving the Lady Catherine's head oh, yeah. trope. This you know, is, every time they pull it out. There. There's a lot of good like, stuff in there. It's like, it's dying, it's coming back to life. People throw up every time it comes out. <laughs> it's a good I think gag. that's really yeah. good. So, a lot of good stuff in there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, except for that one one little section. I've been enjoying most of this, yeah. you know, so it's, it's been fun. Yeah, and the audiobook is fun, too. I'm going to try and, um, I guess I would have already done it, but I'm going to try to put some clips in there so you can hear what a fun job uh, Wayne Mitchell oh, okay. does, especially with the Shapiro. That's fun. Uh, Aubrey liked I did a good impression of the way he <laughs> did, did it. You did a great one there, man. Excellent. Uh, okay. But, like, that's how he talks I'll in there. I'll take your word on it, that. It's, it's fun. It adds a lot of character to the colonel. Also, never underestimate my ability to completely edit out or revise something in my head and just completely, you know what I mean? If it doesn't fit with my yeah, yeah. headcanon vision of something, <laughs> just, you know, I'll just get rid of it in my brain. And yeah. that's, you know, there you go. Yeah. Problem solved. All right. So we will be back next week with more actual book club. And uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see what your feedback is on, on that scene in Chapter 7 and w- what you kind of think of our whole uh, reaction to that. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. We've got to uh, another few chapters in Hellboy the Lost Army. I want to hear what you think by sending us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section, our Podbean website, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gartahan for the lovely theme music. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for helping John with the reading order. Uh, thank you, John, for being editing wizard. Thank you, Danielle, for being badass. For just yelling a lot. Uh, yeah. That's just what oh, I do. Oh, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in each week. Yeah. We love you guys. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are going to be continuing with Hellboy, The Lost Army, reading chapters 10 through 14. So, you know what to do. Start up the next chapters on the audiobook. Read the book some more. Well, you guys know what to do. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Cup podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, uh, just leave the head outside. Uh. <laughs>